0: Welcome to Help from Future
1: Self. Hey, what's happening, Archons? You are listening to yet another episode of Help from Future Self, a conversational Keyforge podcast hosted by and hopefully listened to by Keyforge friends from around the world. My name is Scuzzy Gruen, a.k.a. Alex, and I'm here at Vancouver's first prime championships at Magic Stronghold Games on Kingsway. And of course, I am joined as always by the Wheeling Keyforger, Rick. Hey. And Coach Boulevard Paper Fight. What's happening, Blake? Hey, what's going on, guys? We are at break after the first two rounds, and I am already mentally exhausted. How are you guys feeling? I'm fatigued, definitely.
0: That walk outside in the brisk cold uh, kind of helped me rejuvenate, but yes, it's uh, it's it's getting daunting.
1: Yeah, this is also going to be a very long day. Uh, we were very fortunate to have some folks come up from Seattle, but it means that we're going to try and go as long as we can this very day so that... When we get those uh, those top eight cuts that uh, everybody's going to have the opportunity if they've been doing well to stay and play through the entirety of the event. We ended up actually splitting this up to two days because we realized that with the time rounds, the number of registrations we had for this, there was no way we we're going to be able to run it as one single day. So it's very daunting to, to look down and realize that we're not even a halfway through at this point.
0: No, and it's it's good that the guys from Seattle all know that it is two days. That would have been kind of feels bad if you drove out here and weren't aware that you're gonna have to come back tomorrow potentially. So, uh, it's good that everyone's aware. It was well well shown, and yeah, it's kind of an exciting. though. It's like a vault tour almost in our own city.
1: All right. So first question is, uh, this is the triad format where we each opened up three decks, had a little bit of time to get used to them. Um, were you happy with your pulls? Starting with you, Rick. I was happy with my pulls. I definitely had one that looked very interesting so i i'm definitely gonna have to learn all three of them but yeah they definitely look good
0: i'm super happy with my pulls i mean uh two of my three had star alliance and uh the dino so i'm pretty happy about that and yeah so this is seal triad and we're rocking 100 minute rounds and they're going long
1: i'm not the happiest with my pulls but uh one of the decks i think is either the best deck or the worst deck like, it has crazy clown car energy, and I can't figure out if it's amazing or terrible yet. But it's super weird to play, and it changes up the game in a way. I don't want to get too deep into it here, but we'll have a discussion on the other side of the tournament about it and what it did. But I've been getting to play with it because looking at the house layout, it looks very unassuming compared to some of my others.
0: Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, I'm kind of in the same boat, too, with a couple. I'm, I'm not entirely sure about certain things, but it looks saucy. So I I'm, I'm, want to explore them more and see how they go.
1: And the deck, the deck that Lake is ju- or Alex was just talking about, I just played it, and it is definitely weird. It's it's taking, it's definitely fun, but it it changes things up. It's also one of those ones that's just gonna drag us to time every time. Like I don't want to play with it first, just because I feel like that's just asking to be exhausted by the time you get to the second game. I think that part of the game plan for this format, now that I played a couple rounds of it, has to be see if you can get that first game out of the way as fast as possible because if you're going to go to time
0: yeah game management is definitely something that is very relevant in this tournament today
1: all right well we're probably going to take a couple minutes here to drink some water i think maybe get a little more fresh air we got maybe 20 minutes left in our break and we'll see if we can get in a little bit more recording a little bit later on depending on how late things go all right, back here on day two of Vancouver's very first Prime Championship at Magic Stronghold Games. Oh my goodness, um, I, I was very ambitious when I thought we would get to record more than five minutes of podcasting yesterday, but it was a grind. Uh, Rick didn't even make it today, I think he was just still so wired from playing that he's just crashed out right now. So it's just going to be me and Blake chatting, hopefully with some of the other players uh, who were in the tournament. Top eight's happening right now. Blake, how you feeling?
0: I'm tired. I kind of hallucinated this morning about Keyforge, so yeah.
1: (laughs) I was saying I had a dream about Keyforge last night as well. It's really hard when you have that thing where you're so hyper-focused on something for like a period of that length of time.
0: Yeah, we were here from 12 to 11 at night, 12 noon to 11 at night doing Keyforge shenanigans, so... It was a uh, it was a fun day to say the least.
1: Yeah, I got to say like it was also one of those things where it really started to feel like the decks as you played through revealed themselves more to you with each passing round and I started to see that some decks that I thought were less good were way better and some that were way better were less good depending on the matchup. It really did give you that feeling of just like, well, you know, it's 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 only as good as the matchup, only as good as the player.
0: Yeah, I agree. I kind of I started second guessing whether my my deck I was playing second every time because I had a perennial ban and I was starting to wonder if I should have played that first sometimes but I think the potential that my main deck I was always running with, just just like what it could do, the potential, it, it won games at times, so I had to, I was happy with my decisions.
1: Yeah, I think if I were to sit down right now um, with the decks that I know I was going to be playing, because I, like you, had a perpetual ban, I have a much better understanding of what the better matchups for it are, and I think I might have made some different decisions when it came to opponent bans, because one of the decks, and we'll talk about it probably a little later in the episode, or maybe in a future episode, is very artifact dependent, like it's one trick and the thing that it does incredibly well is dependent on having certain artifacts on the board and so the one thing that I cannot have is like a Technovore pulpit or another card like that that has severe hatred so I would be definitely looking out for those in my opponent's uh, 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 decks and then making sure that I don't have to deal with them.
0: Yeah I definitely also was thinking the same thing and as, as the rounds went on I was starting to think like the deck that seemed like the obvious ban maybe don't choose that one because I bet it's getting banned every time and they don't have experience with it. So that kind of crossed my mind as well as potentially choosing in the later rounds one that probably didn't get played a lot. But I didn't go with that because I thought of the matchup at the same time. But it was a strategy that I was considering.
1: I mean, if somebody had actually... I mean, I lost my my fifth game yesterday out of the five rounds uh, without this happening. But I thought I was so terrified going in that the player was going to say, okay, you can play the one that had been banned in every other round that I hadn't thought about, hadn't like... You know, I, I, my brain yeah. was already so oriented towards the two decks that I'd played every other round that if I had to jump into the deep end with a new deck in a high-pressure situation, I was really concerned about it.
0: Yeah, that's what. That's why uh, I was kind of—I got to play mine once, so I, I kind of had an idea, and it was, like, definitely was the right call for being banned. Yeah. But, yeah, that was kind of a worry, and, as well as a strategy, I thought, maybe but didn't go through with it. All
1: right, let's talk a Worlds Collide thing here for a second because for those of you who aren't familiar with Triad, the way it works is that at the beginning of your matchup, you lay out your three decks and your opponent gets to ban one. And what we saw was that people were looking for Saurian Star Alliance. If they see that, that was almost an auto ban. Everybody I talked to yesterday was saying, yeah, that's the auto ban. There was a couple of folks who had more than one of those, in which case it was kind of a toss-up, like Saurian Star Alliance you know, logos or Saurian Star Alliance disc. Well, I guess whichever one I feel like I'm going to be stronger against. Would you play that differently? Or do you think that's still the smart play in this kind of a scenario where you have no other knowledge?
0: I think that is the right play. I mean, I was fortunate enough to have two of my three were Star Alliance Dinos. And then one was with Dis and the other was with Brobnar. And yeah, I I literally was... That was like a dream pull for me because they, there in just one obvious ban. Like, you had to make a choice. And it was the Dis one that was the deciding factor. And I think that's the right choice based on what disc holds in this set it's um very powerful and in an interesting way it's powerful i find it's not like just obvious powerful like you can do really neat shenanigans with disc in this set and that's what makes it so powerful
1: the deck that i didn't get to play yesterday has two e on the fringes in it so basically every time you discard a discard you steal two so it's it's yeah, gross, cool. which, you know, I hope to get the chance to play that at some point. Maybe I'll play it today. We're going to be doing some side event stuff. Uh, sadly, neither myself, Blake, uh, or Rick got to make top eight yesterday, although I feel like we all had fun. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, it is what it is. It's hard not to feel a little like twinge of, God, I wish I just made it into that top eight. But at the same time, like, you know, I, I'm excited to be here again, which I think is the mark of a good game.
0: I was a little gutted i mean coming ninth just missing the cut yeah but yeah it's true Strength I'm, I'm of schedule, man yeah it's, it giveth it's and fun. it taketh away i was so worried because in my last round i went against jonathan and he was basically four or three one friend of the side jonathan donagan yes and uh i was two two and we went to the vegas vault tour we together and i like and i was like oh no and he's like why are you so upset i was like dude if i win i have a chance of making it so you don't get through either and then neither of us get through I'm like it's so bad I'm like and I was really worried but he did end up making the cut so it was it was all good in the end and I was worried because I, I did manage to pull out the win in that one
1: I'm really glad that I played Rick and you when I did because I didn't feel like it was a thing where it's like oh one of us has to eliminate the other that's a bad feeling yeah alright Uh, we're probably gonna take a little break here play some KeyForge, Forge and uh, we'll see if we can get some interviews with some of the folks in the top 8 and here we are back in studio a couple of days later feeling a little bit recovered although I think I actually picked up a bit of a cold during the event. Blake, how are you feeling? I'm
0: feeling good. I went and played Keyforge last night.
1: <laughs> <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> how many people were out for that?
0: Uh we actually had I believe it was 7 players. So it was, it was good. We had one new player as well who um, had never, ever played before. Like literally just saw that it was a learn to play night and showed up with no idea. And uh, it was kind of funny because uh, the owner of Rain City Games, Andrea, she has two decks to lend out to people. And one of them is a Logos uh, Dis and Shadows from Call of the Archons. Mm-hmm. And it is like the most quintessential Coda deck that you've ever seen in your life. And I looked at it and I was like, oh, for a new player, I think that Having shadows is a good idea because it's going to allow you to steal and get people off of check, which I think is an important thing to be aware of. Not being able to take someone off of check when you're learning the game, I felt, would be detrimental. So um, I look and I saw it had two mothers and I thought, you know what? A lot of shadows stealing two mothers. That's great. Nope. I was very wrong. That deck had three mothers. So much steal. Control of the week. It had a rise. It had like literally every single thing that made coda like what it was the deck was disgusting and we all decided to play worlds collide like middle of the road pack and we give this new player this deck that just wrecked it was like it was hilarious and i felt really bad for aj because he went up first and it worked out there was a buy so kind of uh someone could sit with uh bria the the lady who joined us and kind of walk her through some things and i'm sitting there walking through this deck and i'm like oh my goodness i chose a really op deck when we're all playing middle of the road and hey. it was uh it was kind of funny
1: all good for a new player to, to, to feel like they, you know, didn't get smushed on their first time out uh, to an event locally. It's just the way that Keyforge goes, man. And uh, you know that that deck now, we now that we know it's good, we're going to be watching out for it uh, at future events at Rain City if it's the loner
0: yeah i definitely told andrea to use it as a, a it's a it's actually the perfect deck for someone who's never played the game is it, it sucks to play against because of how good it is but i mean in terms of giving someone new an idea of what the potential of the game is i think it's the perfect deck
1: terrific terrific that is a really good layout of houses as well for coda like uh short of short of having untamed in there you, you, that's yeah that's pretty hot um, so let's talk a little bit about, uh, the prime championships and our experience with it. Of course, you just heard a couple of segments that we recorded during the event. Um, we just, re listened to to re-familiarize yourself because frankly, I was kind of in a daze when we were doing both of them. Uh, oh, yeah. the first one, obviously, because it was just between rounds when we just, you know, played a bunch of very intense games where you were trying to learn you know, your your own decks and figure out what your opponent's decks were all about with no real knowledge of them, as well as on the second day when we, did, you know, were recovering from having spent 12 hours of, of that kind of intense level play. So even though neither you nor I were in, you know, the top eight cut, I think we were still kind of a little punch drunk from the whole thing. Oh, yeah, 100%. So I want to ask you this question straight out. I should mention that Rick can't be with us uh, right now. Um, uh, He's feeling a little bit under the weather. So he'll be back again very soon, as always. uh, Shouts out to you, the Wheeling Keyforger. Love to have you here, buddy. Is Sealed Triad, just after a new set comes out, the biggest test of you as a Keyforge player? Do you think the answer to that question is yes or no? Or a qualified yes or no?
0: I Yes. I I think it's, it's yes. How about you, Alex?
1: I a hundred percent think it is. Yeah.
0: Yeah. There's just so many levels to playing that because when a new set comes out, I mean, it's how much were you paying attention to the set as a whole, as it came out? And do you know what cards really exist that you need to be watching out for? It's like, cause there's still the sealed factor of, okay, what cards do I need to kind of be wary of? So I don't put myself uh, in a position where I'm going to have egg on my face And then you have on top of it, the fact that it's triad. So the games are very long. Mm -hmm. And then you put on top of that, the whole, the whole day, like you're, you're having to try and make everything work. Like you, you don't realize what a new set does to you in terms of understanding, being familiar. And at the end of AOA, I didn't realize how comfortable I was with that set until I've started playing worlds collide in a sealed format.
1: Yeah, I, I feel very similarly to you. Um, jumping into Worlds Collide especially, it was amazing to think about how much we had internalized AOA and the way that AOA tended to play, especially in a sealed and competitive uh, uh, format, and how uh, Worlds Collide in many ways felt like we were back to the days of CODA. Where there was such, there's such big swings, and there's so many powerful cards, and everything feels like really lively. But also, the the chance of misplaying in such a way that you know you could really derail yourself and cause a game to go off the rails is extremely high. Um, there are so many cards in uh, WC that have that sort of uh, symmetrical effect. So if you play a card that maybe has a benefit to you, like, say, Kangafant, that says uh, every creature basically gets destroyed if it reaps, that's a symmetrical effect. How is putting that down on the table going to affect you and your opponent? And I think that's part of the reason why this was such a draining weekend for both of us and for everybody involved with it. I can't even imagine what the folks uh, who were in the finals were feeling at the end of that, uh, you know, as it went uh, a couple of hours deep on day two. You know, there was just that constant feeling of like, do I play this card now? And if I don't play this card now, what card do I play? How can I weigh out the benefits of it? Looking across at my opponent's board, how will this possibly impact them? Do they have this card that I've seen before that I know exists? Or this legacy card that, you know, I I know has been included in this set. There was so much thought that went into literally everything. It was impossible to play in even like a mildly casual way.
0: Yeah. And I mean, there's also with, with this set particularly, like the butterfly effect is real. Like you don't know if, if you do this, the ripple effect that happens from that opposed to doing option B and it's, it's, I feel like way more relevant now. And, and the skill level of utilizing the board state is at another level. Like this is much more of a mind and mind intensive way of calculating what needs to happen. And if you can see things in advance and kind of your mind can work that way where you can plot things out. I think you have a really big advantage in this set.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, do you want to run through Blake, what the three decks you pulled were and what their houses were?
0: Yes. Um, so I had three decks. The first one was Statistician banning Starmish, which was a Dis Saurian Star Alliance deck. And then I had next was Steward Bison Wolf Ioken, which was a Brobnar Saurian Star Alliance deck. And then my last deck was Z Schmid, first of the Battle Worn Temple, which was Brobnar, Dis, and Untamed.
1: Were you pretty happy with those pulls?
0: I mean, when you have two Saurian Star Alliance decks, I think you have to be very happy in this format, <laughs> no matter what's in them, because it doesn't mean you have one deck that could potentially be banned. Like, people feel like there's a double threat with that, which is a really cool thing to have.
1: Mm-hmm, very much so and uh did you see the same uh saurian disc deck uh or uh saurian uh star alliance deck get banned every single game
0: not every single game but every game but one i had one game where my brobnar saurian star alliance deck was i did a little thing on twitter and i posted my three decks and i decided to ask people what would they ban and pretty much everyone went for the same thing of disc saurian star alliance but some people did say brobnar so um Like, I think Brobnar, for as much as it was overlooked, people are starting to put a little bit more value into it because of the fact that it can create a really crazy big board state that is very hard to deal with. So um, that is a consideration people said of why they would ban that over the Dis one. So, yeah, one time I had my Brobnar Saurian Star Alliance deck banned.
1: Funny you should mention Brobnar because all three of my decks had Brobnar in them. I had Talent Perko, Cliff Counselor, which is Brobnar Dis Star Alliance, the mold that treats populations, which is Brobnar Dis Shadows, and Svensson, the Commissioner of Bone Wreck, which was Brobnar Shadows Untamed. At no point did I get to play my Star Alliance Dis Brobnar deck, that's Talent Perko, Cliff Counselor. It got banned every single time, and I had to make do with uh, the mold that treats populations and Svensson, the Commissioner of Bone Wreck. Thankfully, Both of those decks had a lot of tricks up their sleeves and the Brobnar in them put in work. I would like to publicly apologize for some of my comments regarding both Untamed and Brobnar in Worlds Collide. While I still feel that they don't necessarily measure up in the same way to Saurians and Star Alliance in terms of the breadth of their abilities, what they can do can be really amazing, especially if you have decks that put together good synergies.
0: Yeah, I would agree. I think there are some things that exist within them that make them really good. But it's unfortunately one of those things where you're probably going to get more bad than good. And when you do get the good ones, it's on the rare side. So hang on tight to those ones because they could be fun.
1: So speaking about the format of the games that we played, we were doing 100-minute rounds, which uh, were best two of three. And if you're unfamiliar with Triad and the way it works basically is you put out your three decks at the beginning of the round. Your opponent says, that one's off the table, it's out. We're not we're not using it, nobody gets to use it, so of course you pick the one that you think is the likelihood of being the strongest. Uh, and you're choosing me. it
0: based on houses only.
1: Exactly, you don't get to see the deck list. So, what happens then is each player chooses a deck to start with, and the whole thing is it's best two of three, and you have to win with both of your remaining decks. So you if you win your first game that deck gets put aside you move on to your second deck there's no tradesies for your opponent basically they have to win with their first deck that they lost with the first time and then you get to switch up decks if if they win the second game so it was pretty intense um Blake how did you go about choosing which deck to start with
0: For me I chose my Saurian Starlines deck with Brobnar was really good it had a lot of really good tools to it but it had the potential to just to just burst really aggressively mm-hmm. using um tribute and six emper tyrannus and those cards basically tribute allows you to capture two ember on the most powerful friendly creature you can exalt it and repeat and then six emper Tyrannus says move all ember from the most powerful creature to your pool and destroy that creature so I would literally try and have something that I could already exalt with and then use Tribute on it and just kind of, I would set it up and and it did create some tricky things where um, sometimes with Brobnar, there's a stupid NARP in the deck. So that became the biggest creature at times. So I had to be wary of what was out there when I was going to play that as well as on my opponent's side. But yeah, it just had this burst potential that was ridiculous. And then Star Alliance was a good way of uh, supporting what I wanted to do with uh, Saurian. How about yourself?
1: I switched midway through the day. Um, uh, uh, Svensson, the Commissioner of Wreck, the first time I looked at the deck list, I was like, I I don't even know what to make of this deck. Like, it's either great or terrible. I've come to realize that it's neither. It's pretty good and fun in that it does a thing that changes the complexion of the game. We'll discuss in a future episode. At first, I was throwing out the Mold That Treats Populations, which was the Brobnar, uh, Dis, and Shadows lineup. And the reason for that was that I've played quite a bit of Dis in Worlds Collide thus far and quite a bit of Brobnar. And so I felt like, okay, this is the one I'm going to feel comfortable with. Um, you know, it, it, it has a, actually a really interesting dynamic that I noticed right away, which that it has the Soul Snatcher and it also has Key to Dis and it also has Harbinger of Doom. So it has all kinds of oh, yeah, board wipes gross. with Soul Snatcher in play. So what I was able to do with it actually was to create the scenario in which it's a game of chicken. And the game of chicken entirely boils down to who's going to be the one who pops, you know, a board wipe and we all get Amber. So it was always a race to like maintain board or build a bigger board in a lot of my games. Um, so obviously a very, very intense deck to play. Um, what I ended up happening, though, was that on by the time I actually got to play uh, the other deck and get to know it a little bit, uh, this would have been Svensen. Svensson, um, Svensson Basically, I realized uh, uh, it was so difficult to play uh, against. It's difficult to play, but even more difficult to play against, I think, that uh, it was a better first out-of-the-gate deck to play. Um, And I had a lot of success for it once I switched over to playing it first. But this sort of factors into the conversation that we wanted to have around the way that time works in this event, because I had very few games that didn't go to time.
0: Yeah, that's... I had... um... I think half my games went to time, but that's interesting what you said because I I played Alex so I've got to experience both decks. And now that I think about what you're saying, like it's it's really interesting because you had your deck that had the Fang Cavern, Fang Tooth Cavern, and that deck it like you said was a little bit slower and trickier and stuff. But if you got into a situation where you did go to time, I think having the Soul Snatcher ability to suddenly just be like, okay, we're gonna go to time. I'm just gonna drop creatures pop harbinger pop my key to disc and i'm just going to burst up right now because we're short on time and i'll have more ember and win i think that's a really interesting strategy that could really work in your favor i mean you can just kind of hold it build your board then just drop it like you don't have to put it down as a threat and just see how the mm-hmm. board state goes out compared to when you can actually pop it and just get yourself a huge burst to uh, to take it at time which i i think is is a really neat strategy
1: yeah, looking at the three decks now, I've actually gotten to play a little bit on uh, on the Crucible, the deck that got banned every single time, and it's tricksy as well. Like, it's a lot of fun, but it has uh, a lot of fun star alliance. Like, you got to sort of work the pieces around in the right way to get the most value out of it. Um, I got three not amazingly powerful, but very, like, tricksy and complex decks um, which is probably not the greatest in a format where you're still learning the set and trying to learn how the the game works in the meta. Um, but ultimately, I think these are three decks I'm going to continue to play because each one of them does an interesting thing that is fun to do. Um, do you think you're going to get a lot of value out of the three decks that you pulled? Or are there ones you're going to continue to play?
0: Yes, definitely. I, li- I actually like all three of them. They They all were... Um, upper 60s Sass. One was, I think, 68 was my highest. and The other one, I think, was 67. So they're pretty close. And those are the two Saurian Star Alliance. And then I think it was 64 or 65 for my last one. But I really enjoyed all the things they did. And I started questioning, like, you kind of did, am I playing the right one first? Mm-hmm. And I noticed that there was a little bit more consistency with my Brobnar Dis Untamed deck. But it didn't have the burst potential that the other one had, and I kind of wanted games to go faster, and it was sometimes my opponent that would cause games to go slower because I could go up, but you know what the thing is? The thing that costs games to go slower in this format is the, the increased cost of keys. That's what it is. It has mm-hmm. nothing to do with stopping someone from forging by stealing. It's that it costs more to forge all the time, so therefore you're having to do more. So that turn where it's like, I'd be in check this turn, instead you're not even in check. There's not even a response to being in check. It's just like you're not in check yet, so we just keep going type of thing. And so I think it made for a certain place and not be where, oh, I'm just going to do this now because it puts me in check when you know that's not going to happen. So that is, I think, an interesting thing that exists.
1: I would tend to concur on that one. Um, I really hope that I get to experience triad. Um, Again, and especially Sealed Triad and especially Sealed Triad uh, soon after or even like right on the release of an event. Maybe we can convince somebody to put an event like that together around the time that the next set comes out. Um, but with that said, uh, I am really looking forward to some casual keyforge this week because I think I need to play a format where my brain isn't feeling like it's going to leak out of my ears.
0: Yeah. And um, before we uh, move on to our our segment that we do every week, I just wanted to read out kind of the final outcome of what happened mm-hmm. in the final, because um, where it took place, Magic Stronghold Games, they actually did a uh, Instagram post, and they had a nice uh, little write-up of the the outcome of the game. It was really cool. So it was basically uh, Daniel Busto versus uh, Ryan Christensen, and uh, Ryan went undefeated through the, the cut. He went 5-0, and then uh, Daniel was 4-1. And they made it to the final round together. And basically what happened was, is uh, Ryan took game one, leaving Daniel fighting from behind um, to take game two and force the third game. And then with about 10 minutes left on the clock, both players had two keys and a depleted battle line. Ryan had a giant stack of ember and a handful of shadows thieves. Daniel had a couple shards and a puncher's chance. Squeaking up to seven shards, Daniel managed to... Um, get out of house key charge to win it all and so between the two days it was basically 17 hours of gameplay so that was pretty impressive so he just got that that key charge i'm assuming it was a star alliance uh play an action card like commander kirby would do Mm -hmm. and uh got to key charge and apparently um uh, brett the tournament organizer told me that daniel almost did it at six ember and then he caught himself (laughs) and he he got that extra to go to seven so that's uh That's pretty, pretty cool. So, yeah, that was that was really crazy because I I think everyone based on anyone who saw Ryan's decks really felt like he was the favorite to win it because he had some really disgusting stuff and a lot of like of the same things. Like I think he had something like um, six Vindas or five Vindas between the A and the J Vinda. And uh, yeah, it just looked really his deck just looked so gross. So he was able to just be very potent with his shadows, it looked like, and then he had all the other tools that you need.
1: Yeah, I I got to play against Ryan, uh, uh, Daniel, not against Ryan. He was a very smart player in the way that he approached our games. Um, I had a really good first game against him, and when it became clear that he was probably not going to be able to come back, he was smart enough to just go, let's just go to game two right now. Um, he wanted to save his energy. He wanted to save time. He wanted to make sure that if he took the second game, we would have enough time to play out that third game properly. And it worked out really well that way for him. Like he was just a smart, good player. I feel really good about having played him and I, I congratulate him on the win. So congrats to Daniel on taking down Vancouver's very first prime championship, earning that invitation to worlds. It's time for help, help from, future from, from future self. So a little help so. from future self advice uh, coming out of this extremely intense tournament where you're going to be playing against a lot of people that you're friendly with. Uh, and you're also going to be playing against a lot of new players I think it is especially important to take, even though we're under time constraints, even though we're under time crush, to take just a minute or two to introduce yourself at the beginning of the round, ask people how their day is going, establish that feeling of trust and friendliness at the table, because there's going to be scenarios in which you're going to have either a minor disagreement about rules, or you're going to have to call for a judge. Uh, because you can't agree on whether or not something went down or you need a clarification around something or something else is going to happen, a misplay, somebody forgot their chains and drew up too many cards, something else like that. And I think just taking a couple of moments at the very beginning of the game to establish friendliness and trying to establish an atmosphere of trust goes a long way to avoid hurt feelings in cases where there are misplays. And let me tell you, I 100% guarantee that in a, long ass tournament with intense level of play at some point you are going to make a mistake and your opponent is going to make a mistake and the last thing you want is for there to be like animosity or saltiness what you want is for everybody to understand that it's the situation of that kind of intense play that's creating this this sort of um atmosphere in which mistakes happen and that we're all still friendly here it's just a game no matter what's on the line And I I just felt very strongly that that couple of minutes at the beginning of every game where I got to chat with people I knew, new players that I was playing for the first time really helped with that. I never at any moment felt that there was saltiness, and I never at any moment felt that uh, people were were angry about the way things went down, win or loss. And I think part of that was just uh, establishing that feeling of friendliness. It's really important to me.
0: I 100% agree.
1: All right, this is going to be another longer episode of Help From Future Self, a conversational KeyForge podcast. We'll be back at you next week, probably discussing some stuff uh, with regards to Worlds Collide because we have so many Worlds Collide decks that we're just opening, playing, the ones that we played at Triad, ones that we've just opened. I cracked open a display box yesterday and oh my goodness, there's so many decks I want to talk about and try out and play. But that's all the time that we have for you this week. You can find me at SCSIGruin on Twitter, on Instagram, and on The Crucible. Where can they find you, Blake?
0: You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Paperfight. That's Boulevard Paperfight, Fight. And uh, we'll have a link in the show as well if you wish to donate to our Patreon. Uh, any contribution helps. And we're trying to uh, stock that up to do some fun things in the future. And we're also kind of brainstorming some tiers for our Patreon. So those who have already contributed will instantly get access to those once we roll them out. And we're just kind of brainstorming as a team right now
1: right on also want to take a quick moment to shout out bouncing death quark uh the preeminent key ford strategy podcast which has recently announced that they're going to be stopping their regular schedule of posting they may post some uh podcasts in future but it's not going to be weekly anymore their reasoning was really good and you can hear it directly from the horse's mouths to the guys who ran that, Kira Mode and Code Dameron, a huge shout-out. You enriched my Keyforge playing life, and I really appreciated the work that you put into that cast. So hear, hear. if you've never listened to Bouncing Death Quark, go and listen to the episodes that they have out there now, and uh, I hope to someday get a chance to meet and chat with those guys because they really influence the way that I look at the game and the way that I play the game. All right, that's another episode in the can. We'll be back at you next week. Until then, stay forging.